Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know, it is my goal with this podcast to help you find that job that you've been looking for for your entire career so that you never have to work a day in your life when you go to work and you get up and you say, thank God it's Monday. And I totally stole that. You all know that if you've been listening to these podcasts for a while. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Dr. Karen Gurney, CEO of Hire a Headhunter and best-selling author of Stacked, Double Your Job Interviews, Leverage Recruiters, Unlock LinkedIn. Dr. Gurney helps those who want to relocate, go remote, double their income, change their profession or industry, get on a leadership path, or even moms wanting to get back to work. Dr. Gurney has a very unique approach to helping a job seeker land their next role. Her goal is to create job search lead generation campaigns that gets results as quickly as five days, guaranteed. So I just cannot wait to welcome Dr. Gurney to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Casey. Man, there's so much to share about you. Yeah, there is, and probably more, but we'll get into it, right? <laughs> you know, first of all, I always like to start the show with a little, not not a lesson, but a little bit of advice on networking. Um, so, and I'm going to probably test your memory here. How did we get connected? We networked with someone who was in one of your networking groups. He was a client of mine who was incredibly successful. I doubled his income and got him remote work in under 30 days. And he started, you know, really diving into networking and met you and some other people that he felt I really should be connected with. Yes, and if I remember correctly, and I won't divulge your client's name, but we met in a group called the Networking Hub. And he was just like, when I told him what I did, he's like, you've got to talk to Dr. Karen. And I was like, okay, if you say I need to talk to her, let's have a conversation. Yes, super, he was super successful and I appreciate being here. There's a lot of parallels in between what we're doing. I think so too. And I think that your approach to getting to the same you know, outcome is so different and unique. When we were talking, I was just like, oh yeah, we've got to tell our audience about this so that they can see, you know, that there are other ways. You don't need to just stick with your traditional, you know, go get a job approach. So, but before we get into that, so tell me about your company, Hire a Headhunter. What prompted you to create this company and how did you develop expertise in this field? Okay, so in 2005, I was in a more traditional type of HR career, but it was a cube farm and it wasn't going where I wanted it to go. So I left and pursued my PhD in economic and workforce development. Unfortunately, when I got done due to family reasons, I wasn't able to relocate. In academia, you have to relocate to grow your career. So I needed remote work because I live in Cleveland, which averages like two hours of sun a day and snow. I didn't want to drive into a and also for personal reasons, but I also needed freedom 
to work on engaging projects, grow my income, and develop. And at that time, Casey, as I'm sure you knew, remote work was not as popular. It was gig, freelancing, low-level customer service types of roles, and I certainly didn't get my PhD for that. So I took what I did in HR, and also I ran the internship program working under a senator for the college that I was getting my PhD from, and I took all of that knowledge and I created Hire a Headhunter. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So real world along with a PhD. So I I think that's incredible. So I mean, people, we need to be listening to her right now. So let's see what else she has to say. So why is your approach so unique? What sets you apart? Well, one of the things is that it's a sales, but that's more of the tactical side. What I love is what my clients say. Say So I had a finance and accounting person, which I know is WeRVP's uh, specialty. Mm-hmm. And this person refers all sorts of people to me because they come to her to network. And if she doesn't have a role that's right for them, she passes them on to me. And one thing she told um, one of my referrals is that she will tell you to do weird things, do them, they work. And what she was talking about, for instance, is with salary negotiations. One of the things that I teach my candidates to do is to create what I call offer energy. And what a lot of people don't understand is they want to negotiate very heavily, sometimes pitting one offer against another, and the employers don't really enjoy that. And my point is go for the offer, get the offer. The offer itself starts manifesting other offers. And part of it is internal in the candidate. Now that they can rest knowing that they successfully got an offer, even if it's not their perfect one, they are able to get more, more offers, better offers. So this is one of the things that I teach my candidates is we wanna create that offer energy. We always wanna be closing. That is so interesting that you just said that because I had a conversation with somebody earlier about energy and he was like, I just don't know why I'm attracting all these people to me right now. And I'm like, I'm gonna tell you exactly why you are. It's because of the energy you're putting out. So that makes so much sense about offer energy. That is clearly unique. I haven't heard that before. So that is unique. So that is awesome. Um, So so what methods do you employ to reestablish a candidate's brand? So this is going back to that sales and marketing piece. And it also has a lot to do with the PhD too, because you had to really package what you were doing. Um, And that's what the concept of brand is. It's a promise. And what we want to do is present the promise to the client for what they're, in this case, the company, right? In my case, it's reverse headhunting because I've got a candidate coming to me saying, this is what I want, go get it. And I need to present them in a way that the employer says, this person's an A candidate, they're qualified for the role. I'm going to pick up the phone and call them and I'm going to interview them and hire them. So what I do is I specify the campaign. It's just, it's pure sales and marketing. And what I I take them, I look at what the opportunities are and I create the match. Visually, I stack the resume, which has to do with content stacking because the applicant tracking systems were built on content scans. And I make sure that not only can they be found when the recruiter searches their database, but when they open the resume, boom, this person's qualified, I want to talk to them. So do you actually rewrite their resume for each place that they're applying or that you've found for them? No, what I do is I create a composite. So let's say I have a FP&A professional. 
I create an FP&A resume. Those resumes really have the same thing. So one of the techniques that I teach in the course that I'm going to tell you about later is that I go and I get three job ads and I copy and paste them into Notepad. I take the line items and I create the resume off of them. So I actually do a resume not really focusing on what the candidate has written. I focus on what we're trying to do and what the mark is saying they want. That's the campaign specification. That's what gets the calls. Interesting. And, you know, and we, I, I know a lot of times as a recruiter, we'll coach our candidates to, you know, change their resume for a position. But this is like going and this is different because you're going to find the position that you want, writing a resume for that position and making sure that you can do all those things, right? Right. It's, there's quality and quantity. One is the campaign specification. So when I do the marketing piece or the person's brochure, which happens to be the resume or, you know, CV, but pretty much we use the resume is I'm looking at what is that composite image? What is the market saying they want? And I'm not paying attention right away to what or how the candidate perceived themselves. And even more important, Casey, is I no longer let previous employers dictate my client's future. So as you probably know, sometimes, although in finance, it's a little more rigid, but many times roles are not titled by what the person actually does or has done. Mm -hmm. So we need to adjust that image so that they know that this person's qualified for the role. I always say, if you've done it, you can get it. I don't care how they were titled. I don't care what the employer said they were worth. I don't care what the environment was. We control the client's destiny not the employers and certainly not the past employers. Okay. So interesting question. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's say that a candidate or your client in this case um, has a title that doesn't really talk about or tell the story about what he's done in the past. Do you change that title on the resume? What do you do there? Yes, ma'am. I create a functional title. So instead of, in fact, I prefer this generally speaking anyway, because as you from being a recruiter, if someone's hiring at, let's say, man, okay, we get specialist, um, uh, director, manager, VP, I didn't do those in order, but let's say you've been operating at a VP level, but your employer thought you were just kind of not that great and the title you write or pay you correctly. I actually don't want to put manager, director, VP in many cases, not always. Okay. There's every strategy is different. I want to create a functional title. If the person wants FP&A, I might put FP&A leader and not put what I call the title qualifier because a title qualifier only qualifies you for the level that you're at maybe one step above, mm -hmm. but it, disqualifies you from everything below and you might want something below. I know that sounds weird, mm -mm. but you know, it, this does happen all the time. So we have to be careful about those title qualifiers. They tend to hurt campaigns, not help them. So I create functional titles. Yes. Uh, you know, and I really love that because I get a lot of pushback from my clients, especially on what you said, going back a step, like, you know, you're a controller. Why do you want to be an accounting manager now? And a lot of times it's because that accounting manager is with a much bigger company than that person was with before. Exactly. You know, Casey, <laughs> I am moving so many people into fortune 100s and in a fortune 100, they may not be hiring. You may have worked at director VP, but they only hire in a senior manager. There's one 
organization yep. that's extremely guilty of this. You don't want to bypass that because it's more than you're making. It's got a hundred thousand dollar sign-on bonus. It's got restricted stock units. When people understand that, I literally just got the phone with a leader at Nike and he did not like the titles he was hearing at this organization. And I said, listen, here's what you're missing out on. He called them the next day. Wow. That is incredible. And it, it, it really is. I just, I know I keep saying this. It's such a unique perspective, the way that you're looking at this. And I love this because, you know, a lot of states and you talk about, you know, don't let your former employer dictate how much you're going to make with the next employer. Right. But what's yeah. the first question most employers ask? Not the first, but it's definitely in that first interview. What did you used to make? What were you making? Yeah. Yeah. Or it's on the application. That's right. And then they say, okay, That's well, right. you were making this. So now I'm going to give you a 10% bump. Maybe. Mm -hmm. right. right. So instead of saying so, that this was a, you should have been making a hundred thousand dollars right now and you're only making 60,000 right now. So, but we're only going to pay you 66, even though this is a hundred thousand dollar job. Yes. When I do the scripting or I'm now my team, because I have a, a team that's as dedicated as me, it's amazing that they love my, the clients and their success as much as I do. When we do the scripting for salary negotiations, what, you know, what do you want to make? I say over the past five or 10 years, it depends, mm -hmm. probably five, but I've been averaging between this in total compensation. And I also want to keep that number within what the job will bear. And this is probably one of the greatest things that I offer the market that I'm trying to teach and is very hard because it changes based on the organization, based on whether it's Fortune 100, 500, whether it's small, whether it's VC, you know, wherever it's at, I need to look at that and say, okay, what are they looking at? What are they likely to pay? And now we need to bracket that money in there when they quote. And giving that a wide quote and saying like over the past 10 years, it just gives the ability to start the conversation. And then what I tell the candidate to do is say, is that your expectation for this role? And keep the ball in the air as long as possible. That is great. One of the things that I share with candidates when I'm coaching them for, on their interviews, um, especially if, you know, first of all, going through a recruiter, we ask that you not talk about money directly with the client, that you allow us to handle your negotiations. But sometimes clients don't follow the rules and they will ask, what is your target salary? And so depending on what the client, the candidate in my case, which would be your client, um, is targeting, like let's say they want 65 to 70. I'm like, never say 65 to 70. Do not give concrete numbers, right? Because what number do they hear? 65, right? 65. Yeah. So I always say, answer that question this way. Either I want upper 60s or I want lower 70s, but never give a concrete number. And that way, that gives me some wiggle room to negotiate on your behalf when it's time to go to offer. I would say in 90% of my clients, they are what I would call compliant with my recommendations, but I definitely get some that I call them going rogue, where <laughs> they've just decided what they should make, whether that's what the market bears or not. And I have to kind of rope them in a little bit and and help them create this composite answer and sell it so that they can win. Because if we're not creating the offer energy because you're killing a role on the first conversation or even the second conversation, we don't get the offer energy, we don't get more and better. And that's what's going to happen the more offers you get. 100%. So, okay. So what, uh, we've talked about a lot, but what is one typical mistake you see candidates make on a regular basis? This is extremely frustrating 
and it kills great careers. And that is pre-deciding on roles before applying, pre-deciding at the phone screen, pre-deciding at the first conversation, take it to offer, take everything, always be closing. One of the things that clients are looking for is what they call meaningful work. And a lot of people believe that's working for a mission or orientation. You know, they're looking for something that matches their ethics. I'll tell you what meaningful work looks like after doing hundreds of searches. It's aligning with your boss. It's aligning with your team, checking what they're doing. It's skill gain. It's income gain and other types of things like remote work and other matches. That's meaningful work to somebody being respected which the more you make, the more respected you are, it's usually the lower level roles where you get a little less respect. So we want to keep building up because that's going to result in more meaningful work. And if they pre-decide and we don't go for the kill and we don't go for the offer, then we are never getting to more and better. I like that. I like that because in I, I have to admit, I'm a little soft when it comes to my candidates that if they decide you know, after the pre-screen or the first interview that they don't want to go on, I'm like, okay, it's all right. Come on. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And what I'm hearing is that's not particularly a good method. Even if they don't accept the offer, you want to get to the offer. Like you said, that's to create that offer energy. I am so going to use this in my recruiting. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. what is the most important piece of advice that you can give a candidate during an interview with a hiring manager? Okay. So with hiring manager, we have gone past the recruiter that mm-hmm. does the initial phone screen and we're, we're dealing with the person. Okay. They need to create 10 case study examples that show how they solved problems. This is basically the star method, but what's important here, and I'm sure Casey is sometimes people want to talk about philosophy, like their philosophy of work, the employer, this is sending Essentially, in an hour conversation, they have to determine if they're going to marry you and you have to determine if you're going to marry them. And if who wants to know what your philosophy is on dating? We want to know how you date. We want live examples. Now, in dating, you go out on multiple dates if you're still interested in that person. And with hiring, it's very similar, only even back to the time frame that you have to provide the evidence that you are the person that's going to be a team player that's going to back your boss, that's going to get along with your team, that knows what you're doing and is going to solve problems and is going to be great to work for, that you're going to stay, that you're going to be happy, mm-hmm. and that you're going to be a contributing member that's going to move the needle for that organization. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I tell this story all the time. You know, I work for one of the best companies in the world, next to the studio, of course. Shout out to Real News PR. But I definitely, you know, feel like our company kind of embodies that, what you just said. And that, you know, one of the things I loved about them when I was interviewing with them, because I really wasn't looking, you know, was that they asked me the question. It wasn't, they didn't say, this is what we want you to do. They they looked at me and they said, what do you want to do? And I, I told that. them. And, and- and the, and the conversation continues. I'm, I'm telling you, what I told him I wanted to do five years ago is nothing that I'm doing today. That podcast podcast right. was not listed in that job description when I started. And if you had pre-decided, you never would have gotten to that question. So that goes back to the last you know um, answer that I gave is we have to keep the ball in the ear so that we can find those people that are going to respect us and ask us those types of questions. And if we stop it fast, we'll never get to that point. 
Absolutely. Okay, so you refer to this job search as a cam campaign, and I love that. So what role do LinkedIn profiles and connections play in the campaign? I love this. Okay, so it depends on what we're talking about. If someone is in IT, finance, or works for a Fortune, let's say 500, but probably 100, LinkedIn is very powerful because recruiters are out there. Like if you are a demand planner for Pepsi, all of the CPGs understand what that role does. It's not as helpful when they have no idea what the organization is or no idea what that title means, right? We have to adjust all that. So the first thing I do with LinkedIn is actually provide social proof. Because our campaigns are active campaigns, meaning I'm doing outreach, the first thing the recruiter does is look at the LinkedIn mm -hmm. to see if it aligns with the resume. And that type of social proof is very, very important. They're not necessarily being recruited straight off of LinkedIn, but if LinkedIn did not match or doesn't look good, then they're getting booted. So that's the most important thing. As far as connections, I haven't found a ton of helpfulness in connections. What I have done, especially for executive clients, is done what you would do in sales and marketing. And that is use Sales Navigator, build up a campaign, either do what I call a touchback campaign. There's some um, you know, apps out there that allow you to do this where you're looking at the profiles of people at the organization. They see you. If the headline is specified correctly, when they'll say, okay, this person looked at your profile, they'll say, I wanna look at that person. And I got someone hired at to Temple University doing that, okay, because we, you know, academia is terrible. You can't get past the gatekeeper at mm -hmm. all there and it's forever to hire. And within 30 days, I was able to get her a role in academia there. So that, that touchback campaign works. And also you can do a scraping campaign. CEOs, executives, they're very busy. So what we wanna do is find the players, scrape the emails and do an email campaign. That's another alternative. Do I do this a lot? No, I don't because it's not necessary most of the time. Right. Most of my campaigns do not require leveraging LinkedIn on that level. Um, the other methods are much more successful. You know, and I agree with all of that, but I, and a couple of things that I wanna say about LinkedIn here is that number one, if I'm looking at your resume as a recruiter and then I go look at your LinkedIn and it doesn't match, I'm tossing the resume. Immediate. So need to make sure that one mirrors the other. The other thing that I want to point exactly. out on connections is that the more connections you have, the more people are going to be able to find you. So if somebody is not using Recruiter, they're not using Navigator, they're only seeing you as far as your second and third connections, right? Which, exactly and, right. and the more you have, the bigger your network grows, the more likely people are to find you. So I do encourage people to really get out there and work on that LinkedIn connection, get your numbers up so that employers can see you. Because if you're not connected somehow, 100%. they can't find you. That's so true. And make sure you're, when you're running a job search campaign, that you're, you're visible. You can set the security settings. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If, right. If they're not connected and you don't have them set right, they're not going to see anything. You know, <laughs> so we don't want that. That's a really good point. Maybe we should touch on that for just a second and talk about the settings because I know that there's times when I've gone and people have said, I'm open to work, right? Because I can see that. Um, and then I go to email them and they're like, this person's not accepting emails. What? Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. You know, because you, they, if, especially if they're senior, they've been bombarded, you know, but right. 
but if you're signaling on LinkedIn that you're open to work, you need to make sure that you can accept in-mails. And I'll even go a step further. Hi. If you're really open to work, go ahead and put your contact information up there. The only people that can see it are recruiters and people that are coming to look for you for work. 100% agree. So, okay, mm -hmm. off my tangent on LinkedIn. That, can you tell I had a frustrating <laughs> job searching for candidates today? And I'm like, every time yeah, I found one, yeah. I was like, I'm gonna email, and, oh, and then there's no contact and I don't have the contact information. So please turn on your in-mails. Um, okay, so as a recruiter, and I'm not sure if you're seeing this where you're at, but we're seeing fewer and fewer opportunities that are totally remote with many co companies opting for a hybrid model or returning 100% to the office, although I think they're losing out on the good talents. So what advice can That's you right. share with candidates looking for remote work? This is my new program. It's called <laughs> Ditch the Commute. And it's if you go, if you know your listeners go to ditch-the-commute.com, it's gonna take them straight to my class. This is in beta. I'm developing it right now, but I wanted to have it out there for people to start engaging because the majority of it is still the stack program, which is still 100%. I would say 85% of my content still matches, but I am adjusting the content to match the remote job realities. So here's what I have to say about this. Only 10% of our requests of what candidates were looking for before 2020 were remote. Now it's over 75%. That's why I'm creating this program and shifting what I'm doing towards remote because we're buying over 10 hours of commute time back into somebody's life. But when people come for, for remote work and ditching their commute, what they also want is income growth. They don't want their career to flatline. They want it to do just as well. So I teach in that course what to do, but my other advice here that I'm gonna give is that certain types of roles are remote and there's nothing more annoying to me than someone who comes. So I'll give you an example. I had someone who was a Kaiser Permanente. This was a prospect. Um, she was a project manager of scores. She had worked at Kaiser for like 25 years doing that, a huge. She wanted to move into remote work, which healthcare is not a traditionally mm -hmm. um, remote career industry. Neither is manufacturing and things like that. Okay, she comes to me and she wants to present herself the same exact way. I'm not necessarily gonna be able to move the needle. Can I adjust her and just present her project management experience and remove the industry information off? Yes. But what's also being hired for project management remote? It's usually IT or construction, even some construction roles out there too, although those include travel. So the point though is I need people not to come to me and say, Karen, present me exactly the way I am and get me what I want remote. It's not gonna happen. You have to adjust for the roles that are out there and there are hundreds of them. I, Like I said, over 75% of my searches are for remote roles right now. Mm. And I depend on the remote world market because if someone comes to me, let's say they're, I just talked to in Tulsa or someone in San Antonio, these are tiny marketing. How am I going to grow their career there? How am I going to get them more money? I need the remote roles mm -hmm. to do that. So I tell them we need to focus on technical skills, your most you know technical skills and specify according to those or the tech industry is the, a common way to go. Finance, ton of roles. Yeah. I'm moving people all the time at all levels remote. So we need to shift our mentality about 
where we're looking, what it looks like, because if you're trying to present yourself as you did in person, it's not going to look the same. And it's how we find those roles is not the same. That's, that is really amazing. I think that's so true. You know, these people that have been home for the last two years that are now getting called back to the office and they're going, well, I don't want to, you know, um, that, but you're right. They're presenting themselves in the same way. So, okay, very quickly, tell us a little bit about your book, Stacked, Double Your Job Interviews, Leverage Recruiters, Unlock yes. LinkedIn, and where we can find it. Okay, so Stacked is on Amazon. And the whole goal of the Stacked book and other outlets too, because, you know, it's published everywhere. But the goal of Stacked was to do a passive search. It was how to put your profiles online to bring recruiters to you. Casey, the problem with that book, and this is why I'm releasing a new one in 2023, is it doesn't work for remote work. Uh, Recruiters are not, like you said, you as a recruiter, it's it's a hard, what are you going to do? Try and wrangle your your corporate clients into making the role remote so that you can place the best candidate with them? I'm trying. They're not going to listen to you. (laughs) Right. I know. But once they have their mindset, we can't change it. Yep. But what we can do is do an active campaign for roles that are remote native. They are not ones that are kind of, oh, maybe we'll go back, maybe we won't. And I agree with you. The um, the corporations are losing the most unbelievable talent mm-hmm. by how they're handling the situation. But we aren't going to change their mind. The, the pain, their pain of losing great candidates over and over again and attrition is what's going to change this. And I do facilitate that, I'm going to admit. <laughs> So that I'm making it a little bit harder for corporations that are are going with this, I need butts and seats type of mentality. Awesome. Awesome. This has been some great information. It's definitely a different way to look at your campaign um, to get that next great role. Uh, so I want to go ahead and wrap up with our VIP questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? terraforming equipment, an emergency cryogenic pod, and a hollow suite so that I could have anyone and any experience and anyone. You can tell I've been watching a lot of sci-fi in my lifetime. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. Okay. What is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Well, it's kind of funny because I have one answer. I do have a lot of habits that I do for success, but I decided to go with the one that I did before I got on the show, and that was to raise my energy. You know, it's getting a little late in the day, and that is I listen to dance music. So the music before coming on with you, Casey, was Destiny's Child, Jumpin' Jumpin', because (laughs) we all have the right to get our party on, and that's what I need to hear and set that energy for this. So music, you know, even classical music, you know, I kind of wish I'd known that ahead of time so we could have just like put in a little excerpt real quick. That would have been a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. My final question. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? It would be ditch the commute. I literally decided in 2005 that I was not going to work full time anymore. At that time, I went essentially hybrid because I was studying and, you know, working 20 hours a week during my studies. But... I went commute a long time ago, and I want to help other people go remote too and ditch their commute. I love it. I love. I want to ditch my commute. No, I'm just kidding. I only want to half ditch my commute. <laughs> but I am such a commute diva. I don't know if we talked about this. Like my office is moving in the end of the year, and 
I'm moving with them because they're going to, it'll take me like 20 to 30 minutes to get to work. And I'm not doing that. I deliberately live like five to 10 minutes from work because I don't want to commute. It's too much time in the car. It's a waste of time. So anyway, beautiful. How do people find you? What I'm urging people to do, they can go to hireheadhunter.com. It's hire-a-headhunter.com. That's full search. Like if you want to consult with my team and with my headhunters, that's what you can do right now if you're thinking about doing a full search. However, if you need to ease into things or if you really like this idea of learning about ditching your commute, then it's ditch-the-commute.com. You can enter straight into my class. As this grows and I build it out over the next few weeks, there's going to be group type of Zoom coaching where I help people find their keywords, identify the rules that are going to make them more money, how to stack, stack their resume, get that content going and why that format's important. And then they can consume you know, all of my knowledge in that format with some support. But it depends on what someone wants. They're like, cut to the chase and say, Karen, I need you to get this for me now then they would go to hireheader.com and sign up for a consult. If they need to ease into it and start consuming the knowledge a little bit, if they're not totally ready, like you said, there's a lot of people that are vastly about the remote. They want to stay remote, but they're not ready to look yet. Mm-hmm. So they want to learn about it and they're thinking about it. Like one of my friends said, his wife, who was an accounting manager, you know, and, or is, and, and she's now going back to work. He's like, she's just reading one article after another. She's not doing anything about it yet. So the class allows you to kind of stew, gain more knowledge and know what's necessary when you're ready to move. I love it. I love it so much. You know what? Thank you so much for being here with us today and for giving us a little glimpse into your different worldview and campaigns and all that. And I just have one last thing to say to you. You are a VIP. (laughs) That's right. We're going to expect more and get more, Casey. (laughs) And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com. 